0: there and welcome to 1865 the Nottingham Forest podcast and to our monthly Forest Ramble where we discuss the last few weeks at the City Ground. I am your host Rich Ferraro and in today's pod we will discuss the on-pitch progress made by the Reds. How much of a boost has Steve Cooper's new contracts given to the players, the fans and the club more widely? Are the new signings finally bedding in? And can Morgan Gibbs-White, Jesse Lingard and Brennan Johnson really play in the same team together? We'll also have our regular sketch from Jeremy Davis, we'll hear from you, the fans, and we'll have a game of Guess That Red, all in this episode of 1865, the Nottingham Forest podcast. But first, let's say hello to today's panel, and I'm going to ask you each for your highlights from the last few weeks. So just in the order that you're on my screen, hello Baz! Hello. Um,
1: My highlight, Um, probably uh, when I did the match report after Brentford, and I went, You could be a pessimist or an optimist. And then I came away from after recording it going, I'm an optimist.
0: (laughs) Beautiful. Okay, that's a nice way, a nice positive way to start. Let's say hello to Stephen.
2: Hello. My highlight is the equalising goal against Brentford and not just for the goal, but also where I was when the goal went in, because I committed the cardinal sin of leaving early, got to 95 minutes, I left the ground thinking I'll, be, I'll beat the rush, and got to underneath the trend end, when we heard the roar come up from the ground, that Forrest had scored, or thought we'd scored, at which point I ran for the TV in the pitch diner, the reception at the bottom, so me and about... <laughs> 30 other people were watching the goal and the VAR check on the TV in reception of the pitch diner, crowded around this door. And uh, when it was finally given, we were all jumping around and running and celebrating, and that was fun. But I wish I'd stayed in the ground and seen it in person.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, Well, um, I I didn't see it. (laughs) Oh no! Yes, you just remind remind our listeners, Baz, why you didn't. Say yeah, because it. Um, because when the first shot
1: uh, were uh, got got missed and deflected, I put my head in my hands, and then suddenly everyone else leapt up around me, and I was like, "All oh, right,
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay." Um, now, Adam, um, hello to you, and I'm sure that you can relate to Stephen's tale there.
3: Oh yeah, <laughs> the thing is, like, I was I was further away than Stephen was, in fairness. Um, I was well over Trump Bridge by that point. Um, to be honest, I was just really angry about the whole, a lot of the VAR decisions and a lot of things that happened on the day. More than I was more frustrated at that rather than the team. But um, look, as a highlight for me, um, I took my cousin to Forest. He loves to go. He doesn't get to go often. Um, he thinks he's a Man City fan, but I'm convinced that he is a Forest fan. Um, and I took him to the Palace game. And the moment when the VAR was like yeah, goal for Forest. That was a pretty, pretty good moment, and
0: a pretty important win. And you converted him, yeah.
3: Well, yeah, because Man City also lost that day, so it, it, do you know what I mean. It was, it was an easier conversation.
0: Excellent, excellent. All right. And for listeners of a certain vintage, and I don't want to make myself into the old codger in the room here, but I remember um, almost leaving with my dad um, as a what an eleven-year-old. Um, But we stayed until the end and we saw Des Walker score his only ever goal. So since then, I've never left early. Never, never, never. Um, Before we talk about the last month's action, let's head over to the 1865 news desk and we can hear from Callum.
4: Hi, this is Callum with the 1865 News. Um, it's been a bit of a, a busy week, uh, a busy last few weeks in terms of fixtures and results and everything like that. Um, but some bits that are coming up is that Forest are heading to Greece for a winter training camp next month during the World Cup and will face Atromatos behind closed doors and sister club Olympiakos. Um, we've had Jesse Lingard and Renan Lodi up for Player of the Round and Goal of the Round respectively in the Carabao Cup, so get voting for that if you can, I think there's still time left. Um, A signing that's coming in January, Gustavo Scarpa, he's been awarded with the ESPN Brazil's Golden Ball as the best player in the Brazilian League this season, which is really exciting. I think a lot of people are really excited for him to come to Forest in January Um, and obviously he likes his skateboarding. Um, and then probably the most important bit is uh, Jesse Lingard's untold story has been launched today on all four um, as he bravely shares his story on mental health with the world. Um, so it would be great for everyone to to watch that. Um, really brave from Jesse. Um, and yeah, we're really proud of him. So uh, thank you very much. And I'll be back again with the news soon. Take care.
0: Thank you very much, Callum. Um, We don't have time today to talk about uh, Gustavo Scarpa or to talk about Jesse Lingard's uh, documentary, but I'm sure we will talk about those in the future. In the meantime, let's discuss the football. Um, last Saturday's win over Crystal Palace with that VAR goal from Wilkin Gibbs-White. So Forrest gained four points out of a possible six from the uh, last two home games. And crucially, it's taken Forrest off the bottom of the table and moved them into 18th place as we go into the World Cup break. Here's what uh, Steve Cooper had to say after the game.
2: Been a really, really tough couple of months. We've had to do something that no team or manager or coaching staff has ever had to do before with the amount of players that have come in. And um, never once have we questioned the players' attitude or commitment, desire to learn, engage, even when we've had some really tough moments. You know, if you actually look at it, every time we've had a really tough moment, we responded with a performance um, or a result. So um, that's reassuring. We know we've got a lot of work to do. Whatever happened today, the league position wasn't going to look great um but uh, but at least
0: you know we're making positive steps at least we're picking up points since the last game we've done alright OK, so uh, fighting talk there from the gaffer. Um, I'm just going to question one thing that Steve Cooper said here. Um, he said that, you know, we've responded well after, after bad matches. Um, we certainly didn't after the Man City mauling, uh, as proven by those home defeats to Bournemouth and Fulham, which both felt particularly damaging. Um, I'm very firmly of the opinion that it's going to be home points gained at home that will give Forrest the best chance of, of, of staying up this season. So Baz, how important was it that we kind of put in a decent performance and got that result against Brentford after the absolute battering that we took at Arsenal um I think well it
1: was I think for me and I think I said this in the report what I really liked about Brentford more than more than the result was the fact that we battled into injury time and scored in injury time, which was the story of last season. It was that we're not beaten, we're not going to give up, we're going to keep going until we get what we need out of this. Um, and, yeah, obviously we, we we achieved amazing things last season. So if we can have that same attitude with a new group of players, if that same attitude's coming through and that same fight's coming through, then, yeah, we'll do good, we'll do good things again.
0: Okay, um, um, I was going to come to the rest of the panel, but before I do, I just want to play this clip. So, for those of you listeners who missed it, this is what our friend Billy the Bee from the Be Sotted Brentford podcast had to say after the game
2: my
3: boss friends were not happy at all with what had happened because they felt that they should have won that game but i'm saying to you we've been in this decision for a couple of seasons and you just need to t- just pick up points this season we would have we would have scored we would have lost this last season 100 percent, we would have lost this last season and we got a draw today and the reason why is that we've learned how to manage games
0: so stephen coming to you um our group chat was not a happy place on the day of the brentford match because um having um put in a good a good first half performance and then conceding that dodgy penalty um you know the talk in the group chat was actually we're down the heads are gone down forest are are struggling um So would you agree with what Billy said there in terms of actually it's about finding ways to get results? It's literally just about picking up the points this season um, if Forrest want to have a chance of staying up.
2: Absolutely. All we need to do is get enough points to stay in this league. And as far as I'm concerned, that's the bare minimum. And that would make for a good season and a great achievement. Stay in the league and then establish after that. We can worry about... Controlling games more, we can worry about, you know, having more of the ball once we're a bit more of an established Premier League side. But I think in our position, we've just got to get the points where we can find them. And Brentford was a good example where we had, we did shoot ourselves in the foot a little bit because the performance at times wasn't great with the goals we conceded. And then you throw VAR into the mix, we were on the wrong side of some decisions there. But we kept going, we fought. And we didn't give up. You can point to Brentford sitting back, but we still had to find a way of getting through them and getting a goal, which is exactly what we did. And that spirit and that determination bodes well for the rest of the season. We're going to need bucket loads
0: of that to stay in this league. Mm, Yeah. Um, Adam, you were at the Brentford match, but it was Baz and Stephen who did the match report. So I just want to um, hear from you, Stephen mentioned VAR. I don't want this to turn into a conversation about officialdom. But um, do you think the VAR injustices and also the way that they were talked about on Match of the Day, which I thought was pretty, pretty terrible, to be honest. um, But do you think those VAR injustices have been a motivation, as suggested by Morgan Gibbs-White in his... uh, I don't think he's been charged, but he definitely said that we were cheated out of it. um, Did he have a point?
3: Yeah, it was completely And I, I don't think you should be charged because I think ultimately you can't, if you take the freedom from the players to actually say what they think out of the game, it, it's frustrating, right? I find it really frustrating when you can't even say what, what you believe had happened, right? And obviously we had the John Percy article come out the day after or a couple of days after the, the game uh, where it basically put that it, it had been looked at and decided that the wrong decisions were made on the day. Right. That's that happens. That's football. And a lot of people blame VAR and stuff. And to be fair, I'm completely on the side. that VAR isn't working in its current format. However, referees also make mistakes. And without VAR, you know, it doesn't mean any of the penalties would have been given. It might be one of the, the Problem is that referees feel they don't have to make the decision themselves. It's better for them to not give it and let VAR give it. Do you know what I mean? Rather than give it and make a mistake and they are not think it's enough to overrule them. So I think that there's maybe a, a little bit of a loophole there for referees. But look, I think on the game itself, I think it's we. I think we did enough to win. I think I do agree with Paul. On the day, we probably had enough chances. I think we're a little bit unlucky with the decisions, but it's a, it was a good point in the end, given all circumstances. Um, and I do think it's fired them up. And I do think going into the Palace game, there was a lot more. of a well, I suppose the Spurs and the Palace games was a lot more of it, right? Well, that was frustrating, but we're not going to let it get to us. So that was nice to see.
0: And and Adam, just uh, very quickly, did you love VAR after the Palace match?
3: Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, look, it, but that's that's the point, isn't it? I suppose it comes, it it, comes, it goes, for you, it doesn't go for you. You know, when we were in the ground, obviously I sat lower like, trainers, like you know, I was right behind it, and I went, "Yeah, he's offside." You know, that's mm-hmm. my first. Thing. First reaction was yes, he's offside. You watch it back, and it's still marginal, even when you watch it back. So yeah, benefit is there, obviously.
0: Yeah, uh, and and also Adam uh, married on the Midlands, and I had a good old discussion in the match report after Palace about the uh, penalty that was given against Forest. Um, if it's right in front of you, what did you think about the penalty award?
3: Yeah, it's definitely a penalty. I I, I don't I don't I, I I see a lot of people say, oh, he went down really easy. You can't do that though. As soon as you put your hands across the player like that, you're asking for the referee to make the decision. Yeah. It's naive. Fair. It's just naive for me more than anything. He makes a lot of it, but it's Wilfred Zahar, he makes a lot of it, doesn't he?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, as we discussed at the time, um, you know, Maradon the Midland said, your hand around your midriff doesn't make your legs go. But on the other hand, if you don't go down, then you're never going to get any decisions. Um, Baz, just last thing on VAR, um, what Adam said there was that it gives the refs a chance to kind of let the game flow, which was one of the intentions. But on the other hand, it abdicates them from making choices. So the Ryan Yates incident in the Brentford match, the ref let it go because he waited to see if VAR would give something. And when VAR didn't give something, the ref couldn't bring it back because it can only bring it back for a red card or a penalty. So um, that's frustrating, isn't it?
1: The, th- the thing that gets me about it is, yeah, we know refs make mistakes. We, I think probably last season was probably the most we've ever complained about refs making mistakes. We try and avoid it, but we did do it a lot last season. Everyone expects refs to make mistakes because they're only human. The thing with VAR is you're still getting the mistakes but now the play's broken up and you don't know if you're allowed to cheer when we score or you don't know if you're allowed to boo when someone gets knocked over or something like that so it's breaking up the game and ruining it in that way for no benefit so i, I, I don't like it <laughs>
0: Fair enough. um just um let's change the subject we 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 always say we don't want to spend all of our time talking about refs and officials so let's let's move away from that um But in our last big discussion, Stephen, we were talking about Steve Cooper and he decided to not to do his fist pumps after the Liverpool match, because it was just a win. And ultimately we were still at the bottom of the table at the end of that game weekend. Um, So what did you make of his decision to celebrate, you know, do his celebration in front of the fans after the palace game?
2: I think it shows how important those three points were and going into the world cup break to ha- to take those three points and lift ourselves off the bottom of the table is a good place to be going into the into the interval if you like we're in touch with the with the uh, safety zone in the premier league and i think cooper was acknowledging that with the fans and it's it is. It's almost like the end of a season. This. It's almost the end of a mini season, and then we've got another mini season to come once the World Cup finishes. So I think it was a a way of celebrating the victory and an an important three points, but also a little way of Steve Cooper just acknowledging the fans before we head into the World Cup because we're not. He's not
0: going to see them for six weeks or whatever it is. Mm, and and it must make you feel good that both Cooper and the players are constantly reminding us about what a big role we have to play um, in terms of supporting them, especially in those home matches.
2: Absolutely. it's it, That is going to be our big advantage this season. And I think we will win a lot of our points at home because we create such an atmosphere and the backing that the team and the manager gets is is superb and it has been for a lot for a while now certainly since cooper came into the club and i wasn't able to go to the game the the palace match so i was watching on tv and the atmosphere came through uh, across that watching it on the tv so i can only imagine how good it was in the stadium and it is that's such a big asset for us that we we really need
0: to make the most of that and and get our points off the back of it Mm. And, and Jim Daly from the Palace um, Five-Year Plan podcast did make the point. He was saying that we were some of the best, we're one of the best home atmospheres that he's come across in all the away matches he's been to in the Premier League. So we need to keep keep being that that 12th man, don't we? And um, Adam, a few weeks ago, you and Baz have both commented um, in the last few weeks that all other things being equal, we might not get out of the relegation zone, but as long as we're not cut adrift when the World Cup break comes along, that's probably most important. Um now there is an argument that Forest's chances of survival are a bit better than they might have been in other seasons, mainly because the division's a bit tighter. And my example here is that Leicester are obviously on this blistering run of foam since we kick started their season, but they're still very much within within reach of Forest. I think they're only three points ahead of Forest um in the league. So or four points, my apologies. But I think it's, it's a really important point, isn't it? We are not only not bottom, but we are very much in the mix.
3: Yeah, and it's, it's one of those. Like, I, I, of course, you know, I said on this point before that I, I didn't want to be in the bottom three when the World Cup rolls, right? right. But I've got, I've got, I'm, I'm looking at it now, just, you know, thinking about a few things. So For me, obviously, Wolves are bottom of the league going into the World Cup. They brought in a very good manager, you're going to expect that they're going to have a bit of an upturn in form. Southampton, call me con- controversial opinion, whatever it might be, Nathan Jones is not a Premier League manager, and I'm not having that that's a good appointment at all. Um, he he had, obviously I've got a few friends at Southampton fans, funny enough, and he had that big chance at Stoke, and I think he, he showed there that maybe a, a bigger job than Luton may not be something that he, he's comfortable with for his skill set, so I'm not particularly worried about that appointment. And then you've got just above us, you've got Everton, who, you know, probably had a bit of form in like towards the start of the season, or, you know, last few games to maybe make you think, you know what, well, actually they're better than people they thought they'd be this season. And then, you know, the last five games they've won one. And it's like, well, Frank Lampard again, it's question certainly whether he'll get the sack over this break. If he doesn't, I think that might give us a better chance. And then all the way, I mean, I said, you see this and you look at the table and you you can go all the way up to 10th, or sorry, 9th in the table. And there's six points between 9th and 18th. I mean, that's just insane. Like, you, as much as you look at Forest, and a lot of people look at us and say, well, Forest will definitely go down, there's two of us. You, you just can't do that. And there's just so many teams down there, and it's who battles more, it's who wants it more. And, you know, I don't, I, I completely think that in January we are going to add. More players to the ever growing list. I'm sure Match of the Day will have a field day when we sign more players because they love mentioning that we've signed 22 players. So I'm sure there'll be more sort of mentions there. And we've obviously got Gustavus we'll Carpenter to come in and, you know, he's very highly rated. So look, I've even got every chance of staying up. Ideally, yeah, I'd want to be out bottom three by the World Cup, but the uptick in form is something positive about in it itself.
0: Mm. And you've talked a lot about um, potential managerial changes. Um, so Bournemouth, um, there's a lot of talk about the Bielsa going to Bournemouth, which is insane. Um, and then on the other side of that coin, well, Jesse Marsh is constantly walking a tightrope as the Leeds manager. Um, and then there's even a little bit of talk about David Moyes because West Ham have gone into free fall as well. So, so Baz, is it going to be the case of the fact it's a tight division gives Forest our best chance? Cause it might well be that there are three or more teams who are worse than Forest, rather than it being the other way around. Uh, yeah. But um, I kind of
1: don't want to think of it that way. It's, it's more, it's more that it's taken time for us to find our feet, but there are signs that we are finding our feet. We're starting to play as a team. We're starting to have some togetherness. We're starting to have some understanding and that, Probably more than what other teams are doing is what we should be concentrating on—the fact that we we are building something and that we're getting somewhere. Now, I hope that the the World Cup doesn't put a spanner in the works and ruin any momentum that we might be getting. But I, I we've I think all of us have noticed the fact that there's there's little partnerships growing across the side. There's that togetherness. There's that fight to, to how we do stuff, and I think that's the key thing more than what happens with other clubs.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's 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 interesting. And on that theme, Stephen, um, if teams change their manager, then it usually takes new managers a little while just to to get to get things moving. Um, so I'm going to move on from that, but on a similar theme, one thing that's noticeable about the Leicester and the Arsenal matches, which are the two recent hammerings that Forest have had is that Steve Cooper did make thinly veiled comments that we lost and played badly because the players weren't doing what was asked of them. So he stopped short of openly criticising his team, but he did basically say we didn't follow the game plan. So do you think that, firstly, that's going to be the key to Forrest doing all right and the fact that Forrest can still gain a bit of momentum and build up these partnerships, and then, secondly, just to move away from the city ground, do you reckon that's what did for Ralph Hasenhutel at Southampton, who is a really good coach, but the players weren't doing what he asked of them?
2: When you when you look back at some of the victories we've had this season, uh, the most recent the most recent impressive victory was the cup game against Spurs, where the players stuck to the game plan and delivered a really good performance against a strong Spurs team and got the victory. I think that's vindication for Cooper's methods and the game plan that he wants us to set out. I think what happens is, in a game against Arsenal, we, at 1-0 down, were, were well in there still. Okay, we were probably second best, but we weren't out of touch. And the second goal goes in, and it just led to a collapse, and that was a similar theme to what happened at Leicester, happened at Man City as well. I think, I think we're a bit guilty sometimes of letting our heads go in games, and we've got better at addressing that, but it might still be an issue in 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 games now and again that, you know, we we can we can see the goal and we can collapse quite easily. We can go two nil down before you know it. It's three. It's four. Hopefully that's something that's going to get ironed out. And I think that's a mentality thing among the players as much as anything, because looking at the the group and how they've performed for Cooper on the whole, I don't see any signs that they they're losing belief in Cooper or not agreeing with how he wants to do things. I think there's just a mentality issue there that the, the Premier League can be so unforgiving that, you know the quick goals go in and and we're sort of struggling at that point um so yeah i think from the southampton point of view they they had a i think they've got a similar mentality issue as well there's been a few times under hasan where they've had some right thrashings off teams and but then they'll come back and they'll produce a really good result the following week and beat somebody like liverpool or spurs or someone like that and and deliver a very good performance. So we're we're in that funny funny position where I think the players are still getting to know one another, still trying to build those partnerships and and still trying to establish themselves in a lot of ways. I'm just hoping that the more that they work with Cooper, the more they believe in what he's trying to do and that will hopefully solve those that bit of a mental issue that we
0: have. Okay. Um Baz, you did talk, um, well, it was in it was in a group chat, actually, and you mentioned it in your Brentford match report with Stephen. Uh, one of the key things, that thing about heads dropping, that's what really got you despairing, is that after Forrest conceded that penalty, however justified or not that was, that they absolutely fell to pieces for a little while. Um, but then you gained that optimism, because all of a sudden you're like, hang on, but they did keep going until almost the last kick of the match. So is what Stephen said does that resonate with you
1: um, i think so yeah i think that the players i saw an interview with steve cooper i don't can't remember where i saw it it was a few weeks ago now and he was saying he'd been talking to some of the senior foreign players who'd come into the club and that he he said they they were all shocked at the, the i can't remember the exact word it was either the standard or the level or something like that of the premier league and i think that that heads going down is like, it It might well be that, oh my God, it's happening again. And then they have to pick themselves up and do it again. And which maybe you don't have to do in, in Italy. I'm presuming he was talking about Remo Freuler, um, which maybe it's just, it's a different way of approaching the game over there. And so that relentlessness and that you have to just get, pick yourself up and get back on it is probably something that they're having to learn and and get their heads around. And I think Bournemouth showed that, yeah, that that's that's coming, um, which is why I was optimistic about it. Um, And I think if we can stand it,
0: then we're going to do well. I presume you mean Brentford rather than Bournemouth because Bournemouth is an entirely
1: different story.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Okay. All right, thank you very much. Now, we'll leave it there for for a little while. Um, In a few minutes, we'll continue the discussion about Steve Cooper and the players, and we'll have a game of Guess That Red. But first of all, I think you'll find that it is time for this. The
5: 1865 sketch by jeremy davis if religion is the opium of the people as karl marx said then the opium of the football supporter could well be that infuriating phenomenon inconsistency inconsistent players drive us to distraction and yet we love them precisely because we never know quite what we're going to get and that free son of uncertainty is precisely what gives the sport its magic That's why the level of excitement when Brian Roy got the ball, even though it was more than likely he would be knocked off it because a butterfly flapped its wings in Derby, was greater than that which greeted Steve Stone's every touch. You only have to look at the disdain with which the most consistently successful teams are held, or the fact that paragons of consistency like Gareth Barry and James Milder are widely regarded as admirable but functional and a bit boring. It's why Gary, nobody dreams of being the new Gary Neville, Neville, is much more popular since he finished his frighteningly consistent playing career and added a bit of much-needed inconsistency to his position as a pundit. The position in question being his stance on human rights and the Qatar World Cup. New signings are to inconsistency what David Beckham is to right-wingers both in football and, right now, in political terms as well. So, with 22 new arrivals, the team was always likely to be dogged by inconsistency in the early part of the season. Sure enough, many of the new signings, from Lingard to Lodi, have shown flashes at Forest without pulling up any trees. But there's one new addition that didn't feature in our matches last season which has achieved a level of inconsistency that might have worshippers of inconsistent icons like Hoddle and Letiz gazing misty-eyed into the middle distance and makes the likes of Lewis McGugan or Drow Carvalho look like Gareth Barry. One thing that's made the difference in recent weeks between winning games and dropping points and might just make the difference between staying up and going down. I'm talking, of course, about VAR. As was pointed out on the podcast recently, VAR was meant to end controversy over referees' decisions by taking the subjectivity out of it. When it comes to offside, thankfully for us and for Morgan Gibbs-White, it has largely worked. You don't hear so much this season, thankfully, about players' armpits being in an offside position, but maybe they've just all been waxing. Good news for the male grooming industry, and in these tough economic times, anything that supports such a vibrant sector of the economy has to be applauded. But when the video assistant ref gets involved in the adjudication of incidents such as tackles, it just layers another level of subjectivity on top of an already nuanced judgment call, as with Brentford's penalty at the city ground the other week. On that occasion, the burning sense of injustice shared by players and fans may well have been crucial in ensuring that we kept on going till the 96th minute and generated enough energy and momentum to power the likes of Lingard to his breakthrough performance in Garibaldi Red against Tottenham. So maybe VAR's inconsistency did us a favour. It just goes to underline the love-hate relationship football fans have with inconsistency. Consistency creates expectation. Inconsistency begets hope. And as every Forest fan knows, it's the hope that might not kill you, but can really hurt. As the Roman poet Catullus put it, in a poem that almost certainly wasn't about watching Brentford at the city ground, Odie Et amo. I hate and love. You ask perhaps how this can be. I know not, but I feel it, and tis agony. Sorry to go back to the Latin thing after my piece on club mottoes only a couple of months back, but at least you can say I'm being consistent. You're listening to 1865, the
4: Naughty Agouras podcast. I think when we sort of line up and, you know, we sort of shake hands and stuff that, you know, when we look up and there's like about a minute, isn't there? It's like a pause just before
0: the game. I think,
4: yeah, this is, this is special.
0: So... Welcome back to 1865 the Nottingham Forest podcast and thank you to Jeremy for the sketch and there's a quick snippet there of Ryan Yates talking about how he loves playing for Forest in the Premier League and the difference that the fans can make. Now just before we get going with our discussion once again, uh, just a quick thought. Now, like Forrest, our woolly neighbours down the A52 started the uh, season with no shirt sponsor. But now they have given over that space to the NSPCC for the rest of the campaign. So, uh, panel, would you like to see Forrest do something similar? And if so, with whom? And I'm going to start with you, Adam. Any ideas?
3: Uh, blokes. Uh, it's right. Um Obviously, Ryan, it's an ambassador. It's a charity that I raise money for, so maybe I'm a little bit biased. But um, men's mental health charity, um, I think, it'd be fantastic sponsor for Forest.
0: And and that seems particularly apposite, not just because the HC is is an ambassador, but also with Jesse Lingard's um, program coming out on uh, on all four today. Yeah. Um, what about you, Stephen? Something local, um,
2: perhaps Nottingham Hospitals Charity the without turning things too political we know the state that the nhs is in at the moment and the lack of funding or support that's going on there so i think something that supports our hospitals in the local area i think would be would be a nice touch and a show of appreciation as well for the hard work that they do Mm -hmm. and baz any thoughts
1: um, well, I don't live in Nottingham anymore and I do agree it should be something, if, if possible, it should be something relatively local. But what I would like to add is I actually managed to get hold of a home shirt without a sponsor on. So I'm very pleased about that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but would you be OK with it if it was? I mean, my suggestions and great suggestions from Adam and Stephen, my suggestions are there's there's local charities like Framework who um, support people with housing and welfare. Um and Forest have them, have done a lot of work with them. There's also Hope, who's organised the food bank collections and, and recently uh, took food bank donations at the city ground. And, you know, so when we've got local charities like that who the club already have a connection with, if their logo was on the shirt, would that put you off,
1: Baz? No, not at all. I'd be I'd be equally happy with that. I mean, it's obviously it's nice to have one without the sponsor on, but if the sponsor was not a commercial sponsor, then that's also very good. I'm assuming we're not doing that because Mr. Maranakis is convinced something's just around the corner. Well,
0: okay. Um, and, and as, as I usually put a disclaimer in when Baz is on the podcast, um, you know, I would like to just point out to the Maranakis family that everything is fine. Um, I'm also just going to have a quick mention for uh, my friend, Matt, who um, runs a company called Radiant Cleaners. So there's loads of social enterprises like Radiant Cleaners who, uh, who are out there as well, and I'm sure they would benefit. So so if we're going to make a plea to the club hierarchy, blank shirts, they're great. But if you do want to give over that space to a good cause, then I think we as a podcast, but also many, many fans would be quite supportive of that. Let's return to On Pitch Matters um, and turn to the opinions of our listeners. So what we did was to put out a poll on that their Twitter. And the first question we put out there was, Steve Cooper is the best manager since Billy Davis, Paul Hart, Frank Clark or Brian Clough? Now, those of you who are regular regular listeners will notice that we put out that question last season Um I think it was probably um, a sort of springtime, I think. And um, Frank Clark came out as the winner then, if I remember rightly. And Frank Clark has come out with 50.8% of the votes in this instance. Brian Clough, 323 Paul Hart, 10.1%. And Billy Davis, 6.9%. Now, I'm going to start here. I just want to throw it out there. I wasn't going to answer this beforehand, and I certainly didn't last time. But I'm going to say it now. Steve Cooper is the best forest gaffer since Brian Clough. Stephen, discuss.
2: I agree with you on the basis of where he found forest when he came into the club, Steve Cooper. Frank Clark, who did a brilliant job, I thought, as forest manager, and he would be my choice for this poll. He did find forest in a, a reasonably healthy position. They had been relegated, but with a strong team full of top-flight players. Whereas Steve Cooper found us in the wilderness a bit; we were struggling in the bottom end of the championship, hadn't done anything of note for two decades, and took us back to the big time. And on that basis, I think you would you would say he's the best since Clough.
0: Okay, Adam, um, you weren't even born when Frank Clark was in charge. You have seen well. You were still more or less an infant when Paul Hart was in charge. You've lived through two spells of Billy Davis. Um, what do you think?
3: I think Philip Montagnier is getting a, a bad rap here, to be honest. I think he is the greatest manager that's ever been. Um, but no, honestly, well, on a serious note, obviously I'm I might not really answer the question in a way, but looking on pure kind of facts and figures, I mean, Frank Clark got his third in the Premier League, so I suppose best manager since Frank Clark. However... Steve Cooper's job to get his, to get a team that's not been in the Premier League for twenty three years back was an insurmountable task that most managers would not have pulled off. So, Steve Cooper for me is the best. He's the best manager of my generation. Maybe he's better than Frank Clark. Maybe not. I don't know enough facts. But with Paul Hart, Cooper got us promoted, and that that should probably be enough of a point on him, I suppose. But
5: mm.
3: there we go. Um.
0: <laughs> Baz, we're the ones who are old enough to have seen all of these managers in action. Um I I am I'm, I'm gonna I'm also gonna throw in a bit of a bit of heart as well as head. I found myself being surprised um with all the ups and downs since we've got promoted. I found myself being surprised at exactly how much I absolutely love Steve Cooper. A really pure love that I've never I've, I felt a bit for Paul Hart. I, I thought I started to feel Sean O'Driscoll before he was cruelly dispatched. Um, I I did like Frank Clark, but Brian Clough has this kind of mythical hold on us. And I think Steve Cooper's getting close to that, don't you?
1: I, I was just going to say, actually, I was going to ignore all the facts and figures and go purely on the emotion thing. I think Steve Cooper has a better connection with the club and with the fans than possibly any of those managers, because with, with Billy Davis, he was Billy Davis. Paul Hart had the history with the club, but he went off in a marred. Um, Frank Clark, again, has massive, massive history with the club, but I don't know, I, I didn't feel that emotional connection with him. And uh, Mr. Clough, ultimately, a big part of him coming to us in the first place, his achievements were incredible, and we loved him, but Part of him coming to us was despite Derby.
0: <laughs> okay, I'm um, I'm not even going to enter into further debate along those lines. Okay, I'm going to move on to the next question, which was, "What's been your favourite Forest goal this season?" And I I nominated a one year versus West Ham for our first win of the season, a one year versus Liverpool for you know the winning goal in in that kind of great occasion, uh, Morgan Gibbs White versus Brentford. Then Renan Lodi versus Spurs, which got forty-seven point nine percent of the vote. In second place was a one U versus Liverpool with 38 Um Morgan got 14%. And Tywo's first goal against West Ham has been forgotten in the midst of time, which is a shame because you've got to love it when it just bobbles off someone's knee. Um Baz, what do you think out of those nominees?
1: Um personally, I would go for a one U versus Liverpool because it just made me so happy to see Jürgen Klopp ranting about it
0: afterwards. (laughs) Once again, let's not continue along those lines. Let's go straight to Stephen.
2: Gibbs-White against Brentford, a classy goal from a player who's really starting to look like the real deal. And he's been so important to how we play in the last couple of months. And hopefully we can see more of that from him because that was a great goal.
0: Mm. And and just in... In a few words, um the down payment was supposed to be twenty five million pounds with the potential of it raising up to forty plus million. He's starting to look like a player worth that amount of money, isn't he
2: definitely and if he If he carries on like this and the time comes for a club higher up the chain to come and buy him, I don't see why we couldn't double our money on him at the very least and get to fifty million because he he's got the potential and he's got the ceiling to go very far. Woof.
0: Uh, What do you think, Adam?
3: I think he'll be worth 100 when he wins his Ballon d'Or. So, I suppose, (laughs) um, well, no, I mean, based on the vote, I think probably Ronald is against Spurs, but I actually personally prefer Lingard's against Spurs because I was so, so happy that he got his first goal for Forrest.
0: Yeah, you needed to to come up with a designated Bovril holder for the evening. That's how exciting it was. So excited, mate, honestly. It was a what a night. Okay, so continuing on that theme and staying with you, Adam, can Morgan Gibbs-White and Jesse Lingard play in the same team? And I've put this in because both you and Maradon the Midlands have talked about this in our match reports recently.
3: (sighs) It's it's so tough, isn't it? Because every fibre of my being wants to say no, because it's kind of like, I, I think that they both want to operate in the same areas. However... I think there's a way in which it works. And the way in which it works is both of them playing as floating tens behind the striker rather than playing as wingers. So I'm I'm going to go, yes, it can work. Okay,
0: Baz, can Radimiejewski and Lewis McGugan play in the same team? (laughs) (laughs) Lewis McGugan can't play in
1: the same team as
0: anyone. (laughs) (laughs) Master of controversy, Baz, this evening.
1: (laughs) What I will say is um, anyone who plays football manager, if you don't already know this, there is a cheat. And it's really, really simple. What you do is you set your formation up asymmetrically. So in our case, what you would do is probably play, um, say, maybe Gibbs-White up front, Lingard behind, and then Brennan Johnson on the right wing. So you've got like a, a lopsided three.
0: And if you do that, you're going to win the Premier League. Well, let's let's try it out then. <laughs> Stephen, can Morgan Gibbs-White and Jesse Lingard play in the same team?
2: Yes, they can. I think they've got the ability and the intelligence to work together and be effective. And the last couple of games have shown that there's real potential with both of them in the
0: team. 86.6% of fans said that they think that um, the two players can play in the same team together. But I'm going to give an honourable mention to um, that Garibaldi nerd who did say it's less about those two and more of the insistence on it being on all three of them, including Brennan Johnson. So that maybe does add a different dimension into there. Um, The final question in the poll Where will Nottingham Forest finish in the Premier League this season? Will they finish between 1st and 7th, between 8th and 12th, 13th to 17th, or in the relegation spots? Now, it'll be the least surprising thing if you're a Forest supporter listening to this to discover that 13th to 17th was the runaway winner with 82% of the vote. Just shy of 10% said, "Mm, we're going to go down. 5.6% said we'll finish top half, 8th to 12th. And uh, there was 2.6% who said we'll finish first to seventh. Um, and as Bruce pointed out, was someone had to vote for that. And I, I suggested, well, maybe maybe Samba's reading our Twitter feed. I don't know. Um, look, guys, would you agree with me? Thirteenth to seventeenth, it would be the ideal situation. Uh, they're all they're all nodding their heads there. Um, but just on that theme, so. Dan did tweet and say, you know, it'd be interesting to know which three teams people will think will finish up on fewer points than us. And he mentioned the teams that we talked about earlier, Southampton, Everton, uh, you know, Wolves, Bournemouth, all of these teams, the managerial changes. Um, we had uh, Robbo who joined in the debate and he said, I thought Southampton, Bournemouth and Everton before a ball was kicked and I've not seen anything to change my mind. So just to reiterate the point that that um we were talking about earlier managerial changes there's no guarantees that they're going to be successful for any of those teams. forest have got a fighting chance partly because the division is very tight this season, so we could talk about this for hours, but actually now it's time for this eighteen sixty five
5: guess that red
0: it is time for guess that's red. We are going to hear. Up to five clues from Quizmaster Stephen today. And he's going to ask us to hear some information about a Reds player from the past. And we, as a panel, have to try and work out who it is. So over to you, Quizmaster Stephen.
2: Okay, so your first clue is... Born in 1951, I started my career at
0: Southport... Rich. Ian Storymore. Incorrect. You want bloody shooting?
2: Clue number two. Following spells with Wolverhampton Wanderers and Portland Timbers, I joined Forest from Birmingham City.
5: What bloody rubbish! Rubbish!
2: Clue number three. I played 11 times for England scoring once and all of my england caps came after i left forest
5: crap!
0: this is a tough one today steven you've got you've gone deep into the past
2: (laughs) any guesses or really struggling okay this a lot of puzzled faces here (laughs) this might this one might help you then clue number four in my two years at Forest, I won four trophies.
0: Mm. You won bloody shooting.
2: I think I underestimated how difficult these clues would be. <laughs> well yeah. Yeah, so it seems. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope I hope you get it from this one, and I think you might. Clue number five My goal won the European Cup for another Midlands side.
0: Oh, 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 oh. Is it Peter With?
2: It is Peter With. Ha
0: ha! Yeah, it, yeah, that I, I had no clue until then. I was I was just really trying to think. And I was thinking about obviously players who played for us in the glory years, but all the ones I could think about were Scottish. <laughs> so anyway. Right, okay. Thank you very much, Stephen. That was that was surprisingly difficult. It, it it makes a change from the ones which we often have, which is someone from the Frank Clark era or the or the Paul Hart era, maybe. Um now, very quickly, it won't have escaped your attention that the World Cup starts this weekend. And this is what I'm gonna ask you, Adam. Could you give us a quick rundown of which forest players are going to the tournament and are there any who have missed out?
3: Yeah, so we have three players going for Wales. Brennan, Johnson, Nico Williams, and Wayne Hennessy. Um, we have got Remo Freuler going for Switzerland, and Cecho Chiarte going for Senegal. Um, I'll, I'll mention the lone players as well, uh, just so they are forest forest Um Brian Aguila, I'm, I'm not sure I'm saying that right at all, uh, is going, um, going for Costa Rica. Ethan Horvath going for it. America, of course, and Richard Arrae's going to Canada. Um, probably unlucky to miss out. I mean, I suppose Lingard, in a way, probably feels that he could have got in the England squad based on previous tournaments and maybe a little bit of an uptick in form, but I suppose he maybe not expected it. Moussa um, Niacate probably would have gone with Senegal if he was fit, um, certainly in their squad, and in and around their squad. Um and I, I petitioned for Ryan Yates to go to England, but that one wasn't probably as realistic. Uh, but yeah, that, that's a, a roundabout it for the World Cup. Um, gone are the days where we have players like Rafi ball hanging around in the squad going to World <laughs> Cup. Uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you very much, um, Adam. Yeah, um, actually, I'm just thinking about it. um you, you know who you have missed out? You've missed out uh, South Korea's finest, Hwang yu Zhou. <laughs>
3: yeah, I have, I have. I'll be honest. I, I was I'm monitoring like the squad list coming out for all of these teams and stuff, and I, I did not see South Korea's to I mean, be completely fair.
0: <laughs> but I think depending upon Sun Hyung Min's um, facial injury, it, it's possible Huang Yu Jo might actually play some games for South Korea. So, so we'll get we'll finally get a chance to find out who the hell is he. So <laughs> there you go. Um, also it's interesting you mentioned, you know, Jesse Lingard. Um, something that I will say is that we've got two other players who will will probably feel they joined Forest in search of first-team football, and it's not quite worked out, who are England's Dean Henderson and Brazil's Renan Lodi. Um Baz, have you got any thoughts on that? Um.
1: Yeah, well, so, I mean, I think... Um, Dean Henderson's an interesting case. I think it basically... For for all that he's a great keeper, I think there is definitely he's just he's too far down the queue, um, and there's a, probably a few issues with his distribution that that push him that that far down the queue. Um Renan Lodi, I think <laughs> I don't know. It's just it's it's taken so long for him to find his feet. So I don't I don't think he was he was going to be in with a chance really. But it's it's a shame because I think there's the makings of a great player there.
0: Mm-mm. Yeah. Yes. And and I think in the case of both um, Jesse and Renan Lodi, uh, we've made the case, haven't we? Consistently, they're clearly really good players, very talented. But it's just a case of how you adapt to playing in a struggling Premier League team, where you're you're you're, you know, just one of many many new players. Um, Adam, right at the beginning of the season, you were waxing lyrical about Henderson. Um, but can we agree that he probably is the fourth best keeper in England?
3: Yeah, I think he's certainly the fourth best as well, though. I, I think you take three goalkeepers to a World Cup, anyone's going to play it really, yeah, anyway. Um, yeah. I've always lobbied that you should only take two goalkeepers, but there we go. So, no, I never thought that Anderson would get it. Just a very quick point on Ronald Loddy, though. I think he is a bit unlucky based on the fact that Danny Alves has gone to the World Cup. <laughs> Alex Tevez, who, I mean, Danny Alves is what, nearly 40 years old. Alex Teyes has gone to the World Cup and he's been bang average. Um, in Spain, so I, f- I think Ronald Loddy, although he's not been brilliant for Forest, probably is a bit unlucky still to, to miss out.
0: I think you're going to say that Daniel Alves was born in 1951 and <laughs> had a <laughs> spell playing in the U. He's that old, isn't he? Um, and and Stephen, um, just very very briefly, I think. We have to count our blessings because it ge- means that Steve Cooper still got a big chunk of the squad that he can work with and and play those friendlies um, and and do the training with to try and to try and gel them together. Um, even if the man who I think is a linchpin, Remo Freuler, is going to be doing his business for for Switzerland. What do you think?
2: Yeah, and I've said this all along that the World Cup will be crucial for us to bed in the signings, let players get to know each other better and give Steve Cooper more time to work with everyone on the training pitch. And I'm hoping that that will mean our second half of the season is a lot better than our first. And we're in touch. We're we're only a point away from safety now. We've got ourselves into a very decent position considering where where we were just a couple of weeks ago. So, yeah, I'm hoping the World Cup gives Cooper time to work with the players and just get more of his ideas across.
0: Okay. And last but not least, um, I'm going to go around each member of the panel in turn. I just want you to give me a number, a mark out of 10 for Steve Cooper's performance as the forest manager since we got promoted. Baz. Eight. Stephen. Eight. Adam. Seven. Okay. Thank you all. Thank you to Jeremy for your sketch, to Callum for his news roundups throughout the season so far. We are taking a break now for the World Cup, but we will be back when the season resumes in December. Until then, listener, please leave us a review, follow us, and share us on social media. But thank you for joining us on this roller coaster ride. Um Now, I'm just going yeah. to. That was the cat pulling the microphone off the table.
5: Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to.
4: Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
1: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time.